Hey, friends. In today's podcast, I'm excited to have Janelle Cameron join us. She's not only a seasoned rancher from Alberta, but a profound horsewoman and the brains behind the Equestrian Motion Coach. Janelle shares her journey and insights into enhancing rider performance through a deeper understanding of human movement backed by her kinesiology expertise. This conversation sheds light on the symbiosis between rider and horse, emphasizing the importance of strength and conditioning and motion in achieving harmony. Tune in to learn about the importance of motion in equestrian performance, the specialized tools and techniques Janelle recommends for building strength and conditioning tailored to the needs of equestrians, and gain valuable insights and advice from Janelle for riders looking to improve their performance and deepen their connection with their horse. Thanks for being here. Welcome to The Resilient Rainer, the premier podcast focused on mental performance for equestrians and improved horse show performance. Whether you're a rookie rainer or a seasoned competitor, this show is for riders who want to take their skills to the next level and achieve their full potential in the show ring. I'm Nicole Burnett, and I'm a master mindset coach who's obsessed with helping you achieve all those horse dreams you always thought were impossible. Join me each week to develop a show-ready mindset and gain the competitive edge you need to compete with confidence. Good to see ya. Hi. Um, tell me more about you quick before like we get going. I'm curious, like what got you into mental performance and stuff? I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I feel like I would ride really well at home. Like we'd just be on fire. Things are amazing. And then I'd go to a show and I'd be like, I just feel so lost. Well, at home, I'll spend like 20, 30 minutes trying to get up to do like a proper warm up, right? We've got a whole routine and we've got all these things. And every single time, if I'm by myself with a like a lesson, and then it's, you know, we're getting in the groove before it's like, okay, now show me your best spin. Now, show, like, whatever. And then you go to a show and it's like, okay, here's this quarter of the arena where you get to warm up in, and there's like 15 other horses. And you have to somehow use this space to get ready to do better than you've ever done at home. And I'd be like, I need you to tell me how I can warm up because I don't understand. And they'd kind of look at me and I'd be like, am I your only client that's giving you these questions? Because like my brain is feeling really confused right now. Or like you go in and you ride and you're like, that that wasn't the way I can do it. And you just come out and they're just like, just do better next time. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> I need a little more guidance on that. Okay. Like, I'm not disagreeing. Like, you've got the right idea here, bud. But like, can you like, just take my hand and help me out here? I don't know. Maybe I really am the only one who was like willing to put their foot in their mouth and be like, um, so you told me this stuff, but like, I have no idea what you said, or this is not working or, you know, cause maybe I'm just the only one that's speaking up. But it was just kind of that feeling of like, this setup is not the same as it is at home. How do I do better? Or like, you told me to do better, but now I want the manual, okay? Like, I'm mm. with you. I'm 100% behind you on doing better. Like, yeah, now I want the manual. Yeah. Tell me what I need to do. I'm a great student. and I need the how. 
please. Exactly. Like, like you've got the buy-in. Like, I'm in. And like, they just didn't have the how, you know, like about the yeah. best I would get would be like, we'll just ride more, show more. And you're like, it was like two things. One, this is kind of expensive. If you just tell me to just go show more. I mean, mm-hmm. to me straight up. Shows are like, we're talking like thousands of dollars. And then... Honestly, I'm still not seeing the results that I'm kind of expecting. And so it's like, well, I'm spending a lot of time. I'm spending a lot of money. I'm not getting the results I want. And you're great at home, but like you're not really helping me in this area. So I think I need to get some more help. Mm-hmm. Um, That's totally like um, I didn't really have a coach growing up riding like I did 4-H and we had 4-H clinics and stuff. But I spent a lot of time just like doing stuff myself. but. There's like so many times and so many people that are like, how? Like, okay, my coach is telling me this over and over and over again, like, lift your hands, lift your hands, lift your hands. It's like, I think that I am. And it's like, okay, so what? It's like coaches are here, trainers are here, and clients are here. And like, there's a lot of space here that needs some gap filling And I feel like me and you are kind of both in that gap between here's like the ultimate thing and here's where people are actually at and bridging the gap. No, I feel the same way where it's just, I don't, I feel like you may or may not run into this as much because you're explicitly like, I mean, I feel like I'm doing the same thing, but I feel like people get really confused about what I do and they'll be like, so are you a trainer? And you'll be like, no, I'm yeah. not a trainer. Like, do you yeah. think your vet is a trainer? Do you think that your horse Cairo is a trainer? I'm not. Like, I you can't send your horse to me. You know, I'll tell you they're pretty. But like, that's, you know, like, <laughs> your horse is the most talented horse. It's amazing. But yeah. no, I'm going <laughs> to help you with all the other stuff that's going through your mind. Just kind of how I can relate to what you're doing. I still remember there was one time when I was um, in high school, but I was in this show pen and I came out and my trainer was like, stand up. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's just like, stand up. And she's like, I think you're getting dinged because you're in the show pen and it look really beautiful. You look really put together, but it looks like you're compensating for something on your horse. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm just sitting like sitting pretty. And she's like, stand up straight. And I did. And I was looking like this. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, what are you talking about? I think I'm doing this. Okay, if you're listening along on the podcast, I got into our conversation and what I'm doing is demonstrating with my shoulders that I thought that my shoulders were level and straight, but my body was asymmetrical. And so one shoulder was higher than my other shoulder, even though I thought they were level. Like, I look... Totally. And she's like, you know, you are amazing. But like, when you think you're doing this, you're riding around like this. And I'm like really? Really? And she's like, yeah. So it looks like your horse is doing weird things and you're trying to fix it. And I'm like, oh no, it's just me. (laughs) So anyway, so it makes me think of, I thought you would appreciate that story of like, with the body, right? And so true. And we're like, I'm going to talk a little bit about assessment today, but where getting your assessment done off your horse and then on your horse really Mm -hmm. helps pick apart like okay is this actually me or is this my horse or like whose problem is this (laughs) yeah no but it is and so I I I really there is such a connection between mind and body and I know we're going to get into that today of just 
there's just this connection between mind and body. And I feel like you and I are both in that same spot between like, it's not just the horse or the trainer or doing that. It's kind of the the translation to you're the rider. You want to get this done. There's all this stuff in your body and we've got this mind and body that, you know, your skin suit that you get to operate in this life. Yep. Um, is there, I guess, because I was just thinking of like, okay, how do I assess if it's the rider or the horse or a combination of both? Is there anything like that in your training that you have to like distinguish between? Or is it like for me, when it's a rider problem, the same thing shows up whether they're on their horse or not, right? So like, is there things like that in the mental side of things where it's like, okay, this isn't showing up off the horse, but it is showing up on the horse. Is there something else involved kind of thing? Do you understand what I'm asking? <laughs> yeah, I hear you saying, how do you like determine if an issue is maybe more based in the rider or based in the horse? Yeah. So usually I tend to start from the assumption that it's based in the rider, mm-hmm. kind of until proven otherwise. Because there are, and I've run into these horses, there are horses out there that have their own issues. And they mm-hmm. are, you know, kind of next level, like they need some extra love, some extra care. But for your, you know, your typical horse rider duo, horses have a pretty good heart. They want to be a good boy, a good girl. They're trying their best. Like they're not out to get you. And yeah. so for a typical horse rider pairing, if something's going on, it's a useful place to start to assume responsibility, right? Because the other thing you do is that maybe it is with the horse, but if you start with the rider, you might fix a lot of it or part of it when you fix the rider. And then when you go to fix the horse, you've gotten down to whatever portion is actually about the horse which is usually a smaller portion. And then it's easier to address it because you know you haven't, you know, there's not something else lurking in the background that's sabotaging your progress. Totally. I I agree with that. That's the same deal, I would say, as me in like, okay, if we can organize the rider, then even if the horse is disorganized, the organized rider can then organize the horse. Exactly, because then you can support and help your horse when... And I'm sure you feel that with the body. Like I just gave my own example of my lopsided shoulders. Like if if you're sitting all lopsided and you're like, I swear I'm square, I swear. No, you're not. Imagine all the physical compensation your horse has to do if you're sitting funky. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing kind of mentally. If you're like, I see those shoots in the corner or the other big one, right? Plastic water bottles. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, somebody's walking up and down the stands and they're dropped their water bottle and oh, my horse is going to kill me. And like the horse is like, I don't know what's going on, but my rider's losing it and I think I should be worried. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It's interesting. Yeah. And I think that's just a good place to start because a lot of this stuff is pretty like the mental stuff can be new and different and people might think it's kind of weird. And so I like to just kind of bring people in and say, hey, this might be new and different and weird. Absolutely. Sure. But can it still be useful? Mm. Can it still be helpful? So let's just come at this from a pragmatic perspective. Let's try it. If it doesn't work, let's throw it in the trash and try something else. But love it. (laughs) Maybe it might be helpful let's try it out, you know, and kind of just like, well, what we're doing now isn't working. Let's let's try something new. 
Yeah. Let's, you know, let's do an experiment. Yeah. Love it. I agree. Same with my whole take. Because I went to school and the whole like Instagram influencers of how to train for riding is all the traditional like get stronger or the next person is like oh yeah you need to stretch more like all those traditional things and I'm like oh no you just gotta move your body and people are like what <laughs> and they're like what do you do and I'm like well I'm kind of a personal trainer but not really so I totally understand where you're coming from that it's like we're kind of in this weird space of doing something that we know is helpful for ourselves and for our riders but um sometimes communicating that is a little bit tricky. <laughs> yeah. Well, so tell me a little bit about, because I want to be respectful of the terms that I should use to describe what you do. So mm. I know you said you've got your degree in kinesiology. Is that correct? Kinesiology. Kinesiology. Yeah. Um, there's a similar word that I'm subbing in, isn't there? So anyway, <laughs> tell me about how that is similar or different from, say, personal training or physical therapy? Because, you know, I'm sure most people aren't as familiar with that. Um, yeah. Okay. So kinesiology is the science of human movement. So personal training, you can go to a weekend course and be certified in personal training, or you can just call yourself a personal trainer and work with people. So the certification that I have in personal training requires diploma or at least two years of post-secondary education to get it. So there's a lot of different um, certifications that you can get for personal training. Um, a lot of physical therapists or physiotherapists or athletic therapists or like there's a whole variety of other um, disciplines, they'll commonly have more post-secondary education. How I would describe my own work in comparison to a physiotherapist, for example, is a lot of physios focus on injury and injury rehab and helping people recover from injury. And I like to kind of take a more proactive approach as to focusing more on the sport performance side of things. Obviously, <laughs> it's hard to find a rider who uh, isn't injured in one shape or form or whatever, you know? So um, I do deal with some injury stuff, but I'm not like a specialist in injury rehab. It's more like the proactive sport performance, building things to help you excel in your sport. That's really cool. It makes me think of, I was just talking recently with Mackenzie May Brown. She's a barrel racer. And she was telling me that after her horse, but I think there's a lot of similarities here. Her horse had a tendon injury and one of the things that she really took away from that was that um, she is really big now on conditioning because one of the things is that she's like, it just happened in the pasture. It was kind of a, you know, a freak thing. Like it happens, but it really changed her. She's like, I want my horses to be so strong so that it doesn't happen. That if yeah. they're properly conditioned, that the likelihood of any of that is, you know, your, your risk profile is totally different. And totally. so that is, makes me think of what you're saying about being really proactive about training and conditioning yourself so that, you know, you can't prevent all accidents, but that your risk profile changes dramatically. Yeah. And then when you are injured, you recover so much faster because you have a baseline of strength and stability and movement ability in your body already. That's really cool. So you asked me how I got into this. I want to know how you got into this because I love it. 
But it's, you know, like, did you just be like, yes, I want to train riders to be stronger. What's your backstory here? Uh, so it's actually, I didn't know what I wanted to do after high school. And a friend of mine was like, hey, my brother's doing this kinesiology thing. I think you'd like it. And I was like, well, if nothing else, I guess it would be good to know anatomy and stuff like that. Like, that seems like a useful thing. So I decided to go to school for it and I ended up loving it. So I ended up with like a full degree and not just a diploma. But they don't teach you about horse riding in sport performance school <laughs> in kinesiology. Um, you focus a lot on like basketball and volleyball and hockey and football and like traditional sport. But I've always rode. So naturally, I wanted to apply what I was learning to my horse riding. <laughs> of course. That's really neat. Yeah, I can yeah. relate to that. I know like a lot of any sort of literature for mental performance that usually they talk about same sort of traditional sports, football, basketball, swimming, military, you know, mm -hmm. and it, the horse riders can use this too. Let me help. help yeah. Yeah. I just find with the horse thing, there's so many different factors involved that unless you're a horse person, you don't understand because like in say hockey, which I also played growing up, your teammates are humans. So you understand you can talk to them in English. You understand how their bodies are functioning and what the goal of the sport is and blah, 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 right? Um, and with a horse, it's completely different because they don't speak English. Their bodies function differently. Their role on the team is different than yours, right? So I think it's an interesting um, dynamic that unless you understand horses, um, you don't have that aspect of horse riding as a sport. Yeah. No, that is so true because I'll admit, just last night, actually, I was talking to my horse and I didn't have my phone on me, but I was like, okay, so I'm going to bring out my phone and I'm going to show you a video and I want you to understand if it's yeah. what you need to do. And This I, is our video review. <laughs> like, I need you to understand, like, this is what we're going for, okay? I need you to work on this. And so I can, yeah, I just very recently, I very much appreciate what you're saying about being able to, like communicate with your horse and it's trying to you know help them learn what their job is and then understanding how they're feeling it's a totally different mm -hmm. dynamic and a different level to you know sport performance mm -hmm. yeah well, tell me about so when you work with people because one of the things I think is really cool is that I feel like you and I are pretty similar in that I think we would view horses and riders as athletes. And I think that that is like an evolution of, you know, for sport. And I feel like that's something that people are slowly getting more and more comfortable with. Do you find that, um, like for the, the people that you talk to, or I know you do roping and stuff, are people, do you think, are people viewing themselves more as athletes or is that still something that is, um, you know, people are getting more comfortable with or just what do you run into when, you know, because we're kind of assuming athletes and assuming athleticism, but do you find that, say, like maybe your people that you're working with have that? But it's a very broad question. So do with it what you will. <laughs> um, I think that, um, well, first of all, I think there's a huge gap between the English world and the Western world. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot more um, English discipline riders who consider themselves athletes in comparison to western riders for example and i don't know if that's just like 
the people who choose to write English are more that style of person anyway, or there's a lot more like pleasure Western writers than there are um, pleasure English writers, or at least in my part of the world, it seems that way. And so I think there is a big gap in that. And so that is part of my goal is that I am a rancher. I am a Western writer. And so bringing some of that into even the cowboy world like it's not popular to move well in the cowboy world like if you have a hobble you almost have like this badge of honor as to like yeah i did something badass like so (laughs) um you want me to tell you the story you know yeah right so it's like oh yeah you want me to move better yeah that's not gonna happen right so i think there's a very wide variety of people that um from people that are like, yeah, I'm an athlete and I compete to people who are like, yeah, no, I am not athletic at all. Right. Um, And I find that a lot in working with people who just want to ride for fun. And you mentioned like athlete and they're like, I am not an athlete. I cannot do athletic things. I'm so clumsy. And so in those cases, I'm like, okay, well, maybe instead of considering yourself an athlete, maybe you can think of just considering yourself a teammate. Right. And instead, like take all the preconceived notions of having to be athletic to be an athlete and say, okay, I'm still on a team with my horse and I still want to do my role well. So how can I use some of these mental or physical performance skills to help me still work well with my horse? Yeah. It makes me think of two things. One, it makes me think of I do think that there is a difference between Western and English writers and a lot of the Western writers. I think in many ways, it's an attempt to be very respectful of our Western heritage with the ranching and the very applied nature of Western writing, where, you know, I mean, jumping is fun, but it's kind of like who can jump fast and, you know, jump high, right? Like it's inherently a little bit of a sport and a competition, but with a lot of the Western writing, it has that basis in um, working cattle in some form or another. And so it's a very much like they don't think of, well, I'm doctoring cows today. Like I'm not an athlete in this. I'm a rancher. And so it's being respectful of that history, I think, in some ways where it's kind of wanting to identify with that instead of identifying as like moving away and changing. And then I also like it's really interesting to think about. I love your teammate analogy because it makes me think of like a game of pickup basketball, you know, where people like I have some family, they love to play basketball. And like every week they go and they have their, like it's, they go every week, sometimes a couple times a week and they do their pickup game. And so it's kind of like, it's a fine line of, are you an athlete? Are you not? You know, how serious is it? Can you, can you be like a fun athlete? Like, I don't know. Yeah. They have fun athletes at the Olympics. I think there's like a whole people are like, I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. Like, yeah. I don't get hurt, but I want to have fun first. Yeah. Um, um, I do think it's interesting because like I compete in some ranch rodeos and ranch ropings and like mm-hmm. nothing super huge. But um, I find that I use my mental and physical performance stuff more in that everyday life and work. For example, a branding pen, like there's people around. 
I want to do my best. I want my horse to do their best. Um, I don't want to mess up and I don't want to look bad. And anybody who ropes knows that there's some days that things just don't go well. <laughs> and so if there's a place that I think that mental and physical performance is super helpful, it's in those practical environments where there is a job to get done and where there is something like you're out doctoring cattle, like, okay, maybe you are just out doctoring cattle, but like, that's where your mental and performance, physical performance skills can really come in handy. It's the difference between being out in the pasture all day long and <laughs> being able to like get that job done with efficiency and still liking your horse at the end of the day and your horse still liking you at the end of the day. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's really neat. Well, tell me a little bit. I'm just kind of curious of like your perspective on that, like on your experience of say working in the everyday stuff versus when you go to a roping and how you find yourself drawing on both your mental and physical, you know, training and preparation. Uh, yeah. So that's a good question. I think that it's definitely a mindset thing as to like how serious you are about your everyday, right? Um, I think that you can practice really well for competition in your everyday when you set it up well. And a lot of times you're warming your horse up for your everyday, right? Like you said in our conversation, it's like you warm up at home, you have your routine, and then you go to the show and all of a sudden everything changes. It's like, okay, how can we set up that show situation at home? How do we set up your warm-up routine so that it's consistent whether you're competing or whether you're working or whether you're enjoying yourself? Um, I think most riders understand that, especially if you have a horse that's a little bit spicy, um, the more you can warm them up and the more effectively you warm them up, the safer your ride is going to go. So it's like, okay, you're, you're warming your horse up, but how are you warming yourself up? And what tools are you using to warm yourself up? So I'm a huge fan of like learning to understand your own body because every person's body is different. So my warm up is going to look different than your warm up in that, okay, I need to focus on XYZ. You need to focus on ABC. These are all things you can do while you're warming your own horse up so that it doesn't take an hour to get yourself ready to go chase the cows that are out. And you have to get there now, right? Um, so I think there's a lot of things, and I'm sure in mental performance, it's the same. There's things that you can do while you're in the action, while you're getting ready, or while you're doing it. Like, um, tell me something, like a mental performance skill that you would use, whether you're working or competing. Because I think there's still pressure. It's just a different kind different. of pressure, maybe. And I think there's, again, a lot of relationship here between mind and body, because I have to say your your mind is the one muscle that controls it all. But mm -hmm. for example, like breathing, I always come back to the breath and just using, just using the power of the breath to literally change, you know, change your mind and change your body because there's like all these physical ripple effects through your body that happen. And the other thing is that I find that it's actually a lot of the same, whether I'm at home or whether I'm, you know, wherever I'm at, because mm -hmm. the thing that happens is that like, to use a physical example, 
if you tried to go lift a weight and you're like, I need to lift 100 pounds. Well, if you don't train for that, you're going to have a really hard time lifting that weight. But when you've trained for it, you can be like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I get in this form and your body kind of settles into it. And it's really like very similar with the mental preparation. It's kind of like if I'll have similar affirmations or gratitude statements that I use. And so my body and mind know what that means when Mm. I saying those or when I start doing certain breathing techniques and it's like my body settles into that routine more quickly. Like, for example, I noticed like I had a a group come through with my group coaching and I got kind of really caught up because we were having a really good time. And I was like, oh, I just got like all this amazing stuff I got to make from and we're doing all this stuff. I was so excited to make like even more content for them and more like I was like, okay, I've got so much stuff for you guys. But I kind of started staying up later and later and like over delivering. And I kind of started skipping on my own stuff. And so then I've been getting back into my own routines. And I was like, oh, oh, this is so interesting. Because I noticed that even for myself, having like a month or two off, like getting back into my routine of like breathing and meditating, like it used to be like before, like I would just drop right in and like you feel this mental and physical shift like i feel my heart rate slow i feel just like the release of tension i feel my brain just like clear of thoughts and all of a sudden i was like this is not working this is broken who do i complain to like what the heck and i was like yeah. oh gosh it's because i haven't been practicing and i need to get back in the rhythm because the more you do it the more you just drop right into that state of like, I can focus right on demand. I can release my anxiety. I can clear out those thoughts. And I was like, well, it's a good thing I'm practicing again because clearly I need like. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so here's it's, my coach. I, I, I want to blame somebody else. I know. Look, myself, but I'm I am like, the problem. It doesn't work. And you're like, no, no, it does yeah. work. This is what happens when you don't, you have yeah. to, you have to keep it up. And so yeah. I find that it's not that I necessarily do different things. It really is for better or for worse. Um, It's about the daily effort and that consistent practice because Mm -hmm. when I put in the consistent practice, it's like you give yourself a cue and you're like, oh, get rid of all that. That junk is gone. I'm ready to be the star. And if I don't do that, then you're like, hold on, I still have some distracting thoughts and I'm still worried about this thing and my body is still kind of tense. And like it's so it's really just more of that every day, every day putting in the practice and the work. And that's the exact same on the physical side. Like I hear you so clearly because it's like if I'm not doing my own work, <laughs> I'm going and I'm sitting on a horse and I'm like, why is this feeling so horrible? <laughs> and then it's like, oh yeah, you get back in your routine and it's like, oh, I can connect to the left side of my rib cage. Oh, I can engage those abs. Oh, now my hips are moving. My pelvis is moving with my horse. Oh, I have contact with my left leg. It's not just doing its own thing. And it's like, yeah, consistent, like everyday, um, relatively like, I don't want to say simple, but Simple. simple doesn't mean easy. Thanks. It is. It's pretty straightforward. It's not it's not trying to trick you, but there's you can't get out of not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And your body and your horse, which is what I love about horses, they tell you they tell when you me. need to get back to work. 
Oh my gosh. Well, tell me, what are some common like physical challenges that writers face? Okay. Um, so I would say the number one challenge that really relates to the mind-body thing is body awareness mm. and being understanding where your body is, what you need it to do, where your hands are, where your feet are. Um, so like you can just play with that right now. Like how are your feet sitting right now? Or what direction are they pointed? Are your toes curled up and gripping? Or are they like completely out of contact with the floor? Or are they just sitting nice and relaxed? Do they like to wiggle? It seems like such a novel thing. But when you can understand where your feet are, you can communicate so much clearly, more clearly with your horse, right? And I think an extension of our own body awareness is then having an awareness of where our horse is, of what they're doing. Because I rope, once you have body awareness of yourself, oh, all of a sudden I can feel where the tip of my loop is and I know where I'm aiming. Instead of when you don't have that awareness, it's like, somebody this is a roping example again but somebody's like oh yeah where were you aiming and you're like i have no clue like i just threw it and it didn't catch I so it. i, I don't, don't know what the problem is <laughs> right so i think that the body awareness piece is just so key in not just communicating with your horse because horses communicate with body language and i used to get super frustrated with that term because it's like well, I don't know what I'm doing, so they're going to have to communicate some other way with me because I'm not communicating with body language, right? Just so Duolingo, okay? Just... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but they do. And in working on my own body awareness, I've noticed a difference in being able to communicate with them, with energy, with specific direction cues, being able to work my left hand separately from my right hand, Um stuff like that, right? And then when it comes to riding, sitting on your horse, a big thing with body awareness that I find is um, legs that are always kicking and making your horse really dull. But it's just like related to mindset. It's that stress that you're tension that you're holding and you're just like kicking your horse constantly. And you're like, I don't know why my horse won't go. And well, I didn't know my legs were moving and now they're dull and now I have to try and get them sharpened up again because I want my legs to mean something. So there's a lot of things with that when it comes to body awareness. Um, another major thing I see is excess tension. So I like to clarify that you do need some tension in your body so that you don't just fall into a soupy mess on the floor. So it's not that tension is bad, but that excess tension can really cause a lot of issues for riders. Um, once again, it can be caused by the mindset side of things. If you're stressed, if you're anxious, if you're scared, if you're overly emotional, super common to tense up too much or excessively, right? Um, physical side that causes excess tension is an inability to stabilize well or an inability to move with your horse's movements. So it's a supernatural response to create that stability by tensing up. But then as soon as we tense up, we're not moving with our horses. We're not communicating with our horses. Um, I think there's this quote, um, I wish I could remember where I read it now, but it's the tense rider can't feel her horse and the tense horse can't feel its rider. 
And I just thought that was like such a great quote because it's so true. When we're tense and we're not moving with them, we don't know what they're doing. We don't know what they're going to do. We don't know what our own bodies are doing. So I think it's another huge thing to just be able to um, mentally and physically understand what you need to do to release some of that excess tension so that you can move and flow with your horse the way that you want to. Yeah. It's making me, you'll giggle at this story. So I was thinking about the, one of the, when you're talking about awareness of your body, I think it's so true is that it makes me think of when you're riding and I'm sure we've all had that experience of you're like, if I don't look down, my horse may in fact have disappeared from underneath me. Like, like yeah. I, I need to look down because I can't tell you if my hand is on their neck an inch above, six inches above, like you have to visually look and that can be mm-hmm. really disruptive to your ride if instead of being in your body, you constantly have to check where is my hand, where's my arm, where are my legs instead of feeling are my heels under my hips, are they in front, are they in back? Like you have to be able to have that awareness. Mm-hmm. So if- and it's definitely something like it's a skill it's not something that you have or you don't have because I feel like that's something that's common in riders that it's like oh yeah I just don't know where I am like oh I just don't have body awareness oh it's not a big deal right but it's a skill I think that slowing down and taking the time and taking the effort to develop that is super important so When things aren't going well for me on my horse, I try and like stop and be like, okay, what is actually happening right now? Like, what am I doing with my hands? What am I doing with my feet? And sometimes I'm super tempted to just be like, well, I don't know. So I'm just going to keep going. And that never works. So it's like, no, I am not doing anything any longer until I figure out what I'm actually doing. And oftentimes it's like, oh, yeah, I am just putting extra emphasis into my horse with my legs that I don't need to be and then when I quit doing that all of a sudden my horse goes it's like oh well taking that time to actually understand what you're doing I think is just like so key and if you're a writer and you want to bring awareness this is so funny you do know about so basketball players have these goggles to practice dribbling for again this like connection between your mind and your body and the ball and their goggles and you put them on and they block out, it's like this. So if you like put your fingers up like this, like you can't see below your eyes. So I got a pair. Perfect. And how do they work? Like 10 bucks on Amazon. If you try and ride in them, you're like, I had no horse. But it's amazing. My like trainer suggested it to a friend and I was like, oh, I'm totally doing that. And so yeah. It- and it's like a totally a great thing. Like if you want to practice, because you can do it, like I said, you can do it off the horse just to build that like, here's my body. I can trust that my body, like I can sense it. I can feel it. I can trust it is where it is. Like, but it'll fix you looking down. Mm-hmm. I think a big part of that too is like in, when it comes to exercises, what I often say is it doesn't matter which exercise you're doing so much as how you're doing it. So I think that's a great way too to um, get some of that body awareness is off your horse, doing some of those other things, building that awareness of where your body is, like 
okay, I'm standing here. What are my shoulders doing? Am I like super tense forward? Am I like excessively trying to hold my shoulders back? Like, what am I actually doing? And like connecting that to my brain, right? Same with your feet. Like, can you wiggle your toes right now? Everybody wiggle your toes. Like, I okay, can't reverse that. I just, yeah. Now, now there's a new brain map connected to your toes, right? Oh. So, um, I mean, that's an overly simplified view of it, but slowing down and taking that time to build that awareness. And then I think, like I said, like once you have your own body awareness, it's so much easier to be aware of what your horse is doing too, because it's just turns out to be an extension of yourself. Yeah. It's really cool. I was reading this amazing book all about flow. And so the guy was going into all of the the flow state triggers and how you can use this and apply it to get into flow. And one of the things that was fascinating to me about that is that he talks about how when you really get into flow, like certain parts of your brain literally shut down. And so it's part of, you know, we think of, oh, we want to use more of our brain to have a better performance, but it's really about thinking less. Like you're like, mm-hmm. it off, shut it off. And it was fascinating because I'll just like, you know, spoil the punchline, tread on some toes that for a lot of people, when they have um, a very like spiritual experience of being one with something that this happens. And again, it's not saying it's not like real, but it's because your brain is literally like turning off certain parts of your brain. And so like when a surfer becomes one with the wave, like their brain has literally like turned off certain parts and it's like just these physical sensations. And so same thing, like, I was like, oh, this is just like with horse riding where you're like, yeah, it's like when you can really become one with the horse, it's because you're stopped trying to overthink things and you can really inhabit your body. And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it's like you and the horse are one. And And that's like, that's what got me into the mental performance stuff is like, I was like, okay, I was at this stage where I was like, okay, I'm pretty happy with my body right now. Like, I feel like it's working pretty well, but my riding was like really crappy in my opinion. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, I need to do something different. And so I found this mindset coach and I started working with her and like first session, of course, she's like, well, what's your goal? And I'm like, well, I just need to get more flow in my horse. Mm -hmm. And her response was, um, well, how much flow is in you? And I was like, <laughs> like none. <laughs> and so then it's like, um, okay, I need to get more mental flow and I need to get more physical flow. And the two things together kind of like, I feel like I'm finally on that path of, okay, this is working for me and I'm happy with it. And like, yeah, there's always bumps in the journey, but like the combination of the physical and the mental is like, boom, yeah this is working. That's so cool. Cause it really does like just supercharge your progress when you realize that mind and body are not like, they're not just this totally separate thing that we're, we're connected and to really do our best, you just got to embrace that and embrace that they're so connected. And so that's really, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, and also I love that just bringing up that like the out of the saddle things that they do impact are in the saddle time. And I think that, you know, it comes up again for both mind and body that if you don't care for your body or train it in certain ways out of the saddle, it's hard to expect that you're just going to swing a leg over and then it'll just be great. 
And the same Mm -hmm. thing with your mind. If you're not practiced at how can I get into a flow state for peak performance? Well, it's not just going to ran, you know, like it's going to be hard to help cultivate that. Or Mm -hmm. if you don't deal with, oh, I'm really upset about this, you know, I don't know, my work or my kids are sick or my car just broke down. Like it's hard to separate that out and then just have an amazing ride. And so it's all connected. Yeah. And I think, well, not especially, but with the body side of things, the horse adds so much Mm -hmm. to our system, like the way they move, the speed and energy that they have, the training that they have, the skills that they have, the attitude that they have, right? All those things impact us. So Mm -hmm. when you're trying to develop a new skill, it's really hard to try and do that with all these extra external pressures and forces and things that are also impacting it. So I think that practicing that stuff without your horse as part of it is super key so you can learn to understand yourself and then you can go and take it to your horse and be like, okay, horse, this is how I'm organizing myself and now this is how we want you to organize yourself and this is how we're going to be successful in our performance, whether that is competition or work or pleasure. Well, so talk to me about how, um, so there's two parts to this here. One would be that different disciplines have different styles of movement that they would emphasize in their horse, right? So for roping, you've got a lot of like going hard out of the box, like really quick acceleration, a lot of forward motion, reining. It's a lot of like contrast, you know, going fast and then going slow or spinning. And and so how do you find that this might impact the way a rider might want to prepare? And the other thing is that since like horses are the same, but a lot of people ride the same horse are there ways that they can, um, what I'm really getting at is I'm leading down the garden path of like, I think sometimes it can really do a number on people's confidence if they feel like, gosh, I can ride my horse. But when I hop on somebody else's horse, I feel like a rank beginner again because it's such a different animal. So those are two totally separate questions. But just kind of talk about that, you know, from your physical perspective. Okay. Well, first of all, I could talk about a thousand different things from that those two questions. Well, have fun. Um, Take so it and run. If I get on a tangent, like bring me back. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I think the first thing with that challenge and frustration of like, okay, I can ride this horse, but I can't ride that horse is that every horse and their movement is going to impact your body in a different way. And therefore, your brain and your body need to create a different movement pattern for every different horse that you ride. So when you're used to only riding one horse, you've got a very specific movement pattern for that horse. If someone is used to, say, a horse trainer is used to riding a variety of different horses every day, that transition becomes a lot because they already have that um, variety and adaptability in their bodies. So I think a big... me think about how like trainers are kind of known for being like, oh, I have a type, right? Like I want to ride this type of horse. And because it makes me think that what they were doing is maybe not consciously, really subconsciously, they're reducing the switching cost of going from client horse to client horse because they're like, well, they're all a similar type. Mm-hmm, for yeah. sure. And like I can feel that in my own horses as well. I have two bigger, slower, they'd rather just stand around horses, right? And then I have 
a couple in the middle. And then I have one that I call my fiery redhead because he's just all over the place. And so switching from, say, Rumble, who's like this big mover and this big horse, to Scooter, who's like really zippy, big stops, big spins, big everything, mm-hmm. um, really dramatic. Like, it's a completely different ball game in mind and body. So, like, I don't just find myself physically switching between the two, but I really have to, like, pause. Mm-hmm. Once again, I go back to a branding scenario because I just love branding. But um, when you go into that environment and say you have a big day dragging calves and it's like, okay, I'm going to drag calves off one horse and then I'm going to drag calves off another horse. I have to like stop and mentally switch myself from like, okay, I'm going to have to encourage this horse to, okay, now I'm going to have to settle this horse down because it's two different, two different beasts. And I need to mentally and physically deal with that differently. So don't be discouraged if you do have trouble. I think the other thing we can quick talk about is the frustration of a trainer getting on your horse and riding it really well. And then you get on it and you're like, I can't get it to do anything. Like I know so many people, myself included, who have been in that situation where it's like, man, my horse looks amazing right now. And then you get on it and it's like, I can't, I can't do anything. And like, that can be so frustrating. So I think a big piece of that goes back to that body awareness, goes back to your awareness of your horse, having that feel and having that timing, which goes back to moving well with your horse. Um, It's all so connected, but like there are skills that you can develop that will help you get to that stage. So it's not just that like this trainer is on this pedestal of being amazing. They just have different skills than you do right now. So There are things that you can do to help develop those skills and help get you to that place where, yeah, you can ride your own horse better. Yeah, you can ride a different horse better. Yeah, you can transition between horses better and develop those skills to be able to do that. No, I totally agree because I feel like that's kind of one of my big through line is just really empowering riders and, you know, the idea that like, hey, like, your skill sets are not fixed, right? Your physical capabilities are not fixed. Your confidence level is not fixed. You know, ability to focus and be anxious or not anxious at a competition, it's not fixed. And there are absolutely exercises that you can do to improve and get better. So I, I love that because that's what it's all about is you're like, no, you can do this and you're not stuck there. Yeah, exactly. And then back to the part of the question about like different disciplines and how different riders can do different things. Um, I think it comes down to, first of all, understanding yourself and what you need. I can't emphasize that enough. An example being, I was at a event this summer and there's one rider who is really collapsed through their chest, right? Like really rounded over. And I'm telling her, okay, we need to inhale and get your sternum or your chest lifted up and get those shoulders opened up. And here's how we're going to do it. And meanwhile, I have in the side profile, there's this other rider who's trying to listen to what I'm telling rider A. And I had to turn around and be like, don't listen to me right now because this is not helpful for you. This rider's already in that like super extended position and she's trying to get her chest up higher. And it's like, no, no, that's not for you. So like figure out (laughs) what, where your body is at and what your body specifically needs, I think is huge. And then um, all the basic movements 
for riding are the same. So every horse moves the same. We need your pelvis to be able to rotate and hike and drop and shift side to side. So all those basic movements are the same. The degree to which you need to do them does change based on the horse. And then the amount that you do of it is also going to change. So for example, a team roper, like you said, who's leaving the box hard, who's only loping their horse and getting them spun around or um, whatever is going to have, like, they're going to spend less time in, say, a trotting movement pattern, right? But I think that a body that functions well is one that can create, first of all, all the different movement patterns that you need, and then B, can be adaptable to the situation. So once again, going back to the example about riding different multiple horses is, can you do a basic trot movement pattern with your pelvis, with your hips, and then adjust that based on, okay, this horse's stride is longer. Okay, this horse's stride is shorter. This one has more spring, right? And then when you get good at that, can you influence the horse by riding, say, a slightly different pattern and see if I can take, okay, this horse is a really like slow trot. Okay, can I pick up my energy? Can I get them more dynamic in that trot? Because my body can do that. If my body can handle that extra enthusiasm and that extra movement, I'm going to have a really hard time getting that out of my horse because I can't do it, right? And then we go back to that tension. We go back to the um, getting scared, falling off, right? Like everything, which both those things, I think, lead to like emotional problems or problems, not the right word, but you can maybe explain that a little bit more about how that fear, or that inability to ride something brings out some of that emotion. Oh yeah. Just that when you feel that you're, well, cause it can be either truly like you physically can't ride something, you know, cause maybe you're out of condition or it can just be, you're afraid of riding something. Like I still remember after giving birth, like I came back and I was like, I am not as fearless as I used to be. That's interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, oh, oh, like that. I just, I wasn't even expecting it. And then I was riding along and I was like, don't die. You know, mm-hmm. and you're like, I, I don't want to. Absolutely not. Like, horse, behave yourself, you know, and where things that wouldn't have bothered me before would just kind of rattle me. Because it absolutely, like when you have those feelings And it's totally normal. I mean, I support everybody Mm -hmm. in being safe, not dying. Horse riding should be fun, like before anything else. But just when you're aware of that is that, and that's where I feel like it's so important to have that mental work. Because a lot of times we believe all the thoughts that we have, you know, we think just because we had an emotion that that must be true instead of being, well, that emotion's job is to get my attention and so that I can deal with whatever's going on, right? If I'm scared, if I'm angry, it's like throwing up a red flag in the middle of a game and being like, time out, you got to deal with this, you know, like put your down. And it's kind of like, okay, what's going on? Should I be putting on a helmet? Should I have lunged my horse before I got on? Do we need to retrain this movement? Like something is going on. It's just like a red flag to get your attention. Like, but emotions aren't, bad. And I have a mini soapbox here where, particularly in the Western world, it's this idea of like, 
emotions are not helpful. They're not real. They're not useful. Like you need to replace emotions with facts or you need to like emotions are bad and weak. And you're like, no, no. Like it's, I really disagree with that because I feel like it gives emotions unnecessary power. And Mm -hmm. then like, it's so much more powerful to be neutral and to just observe like, oh, oh, I'm feeling a certain type of way right now. Okay, like, what do I want to do with that? And instead of putting it in a position of power or a position of you have to do something or you have to react. And the same thing with thoughts. Like, just because you think a thought, like, you're, you know, a lot of times your brain's just trying to keep you alive. And so it's like, oh, you're going to go in the pen. You're scared. You're nervous. You're right. This is exactly the same thing. Like, going out to throw your rope is the same thing as, like, walking in front of a truck right? Like we should be t- that scared. I- I'm I'm with you. Like, stop, stop now. And <laughs> instead of being like, I had that thought, but it doesn't make it true. And that's like a really big thing for, I think most people is the idea that like, I have a feeling, I have a thought, like, what do you mean? That's not a hundred percent gospel truth. And you're like, well, it's just a thought. You're not married to it. It's just a thought. Hey, mm-hmm. thought. See you later, thought. Like, do I want to continue to think that thought? Do I want to disagree with that thought? Do I want to entertain it? Maybe challenge it? Like just kind of holding thoughts and emotions very lightly is a very is a very powerful and very useful paradigm to adopt. And, so- and I think um, being able to distinguish and learn skills like um, – a good example is like, okay, I'm scared to get on my horse. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, is this a real thought? Should I do something about it? Like, I cannot emphasize how much I encourage people to warm up their horses. If you think you're going to die, do something about it. Take a proactive step and like, yeah. okay, is my horse giving me signs that they might kill me? Then, yeah, maybe I should pay attention to that feeling. If my horse is not, then maybe I should let that feeling go. But I do think that it's easy in hindsight to be like, oh, I should have warmed up better. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But I think part of that is just experience. And I think a major skill that a lot of horse owners and riders don't have is that awareness of their horse and understanding what their horse is telling them with their body language. And like, okay, my horse is not paying attention to me at all. They're spooking from everything. Probably not a good situation to get on them in, right? Versus a horse that stands at the mounting block and lets you get on and they're quiet and they're willing to work with you. Then like, okay, that's probably a safe place to be. No, And I think just to connect it back to the body side of things, I think that example of just having a baby is a super good example of, okay, I'm scared of this situation that I wasn't scared about before. Um, But there's like the mental side of, I have this kid at home. I don't want to get hurt. I have to take care of them. Like there's that whole mental side, but there's also the physical side of like your body changed a lot in the last say year. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's both sides. There's the mental side and the physical side that, when you have the tools to break down what's actually going on, it can be a relatively easy, simple fix. <laughs> when you can break down, find what the issue is, then it's relatively simple to solve. 
Yeah. And I think we're both like, I love that we're both bringing up for whether it's physical or mental, it's just about slowing it down and bringing awareness to whatever's going on instead of just rushing in to get on. Cause you were talking about the horse and I was like, that is exactly my little two-year-old baby right now where he, we usually start out somewhere in the la 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 land and we, we, you know, we do some groundwork till I'm like, okay, you're paying attention now. Now we can get on. Um, yeah. And just not, you know, just bringing more awareness to that is like, this is a normal and healthy process to just be aware of your physical body, be aware of where you're at mentally and make sure it's good and not being embarrassed or flustered about taking the time that you need. And I think um, something that you mentioned too was not giving a thought or feeling too much room, right? And I think a big part of that is giving yourself the opportunity to be different all the time or like changing all the time or always evolving. So just because your horse started your warm up super spicy doesn't mean that they're going to be spicy for the entire rest of the day, right? There's different energies, there's different flows. Everybody's always changing and your body changes. And so maybe you started off super nervous or super tense. And then it's like, okay, I'm getting in the groove of this. All of a sudden you're feeling better and then everything changes. But if you hold yourself to, oh, I'm feeling grumpy today, I have to feel grumpy all day, right? Doesn't go well. I reserve so the like, right to do that on some days, okay? Yes, yes. <laughs> But there is the opportunity to all of a sudden be in a good mood. Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh my gosh. But no, I think that's a big one. And I think it's just approaching your mind and body with just with love and curiosity. Because Mm. each day, like, you're, my body changes every day. I'll be like, what did I do? All I did was sleep last night. Why am I so creaky and sore? What happened? Or other days you're like, I'm going to do it all. And so being able to meet yourself wherever you're at and the same Mm -hmm. with your horse of just like, okay, well, this is where we're at and that's okay. Let's roll with it. Um, A thought that that brings up for me is people always ask me like, how many reps should I do? So in case people don't work out, um, a rep is just how many times you do an exercise. So say I do one jumping jack, that's one rep, two jumping jacks, that's two reps. Okay. And uh, I think as riders, it's a really interesting opportunity to be like, okay, you could do 10 reps, but how often do you go into, unless you're in a competition and there's a set pattern, how often do you go into your training and be like, I'm going to trot two circles and that's it, right? It's not super common. You're going to be like, okay, like I'm going to trot one circle and that felt pretty good. Okay. Now I'm going to trot a faster circle. Then I'm going to trot a slower circle. Now I'm going to try and like get him a little more into the corner or like we change things all the time when we're riding, right? So it's like, okay, how much adaptability, how much variability can we give ourselves in our exercises, in our workouts and be like, you know what? Today I'm feeling really tired. My kids didn't sleep well. My horse bucked me off yesterday. I'm feeling crappy, right? Like, okay, maybe I'm going to do half the reps of my workout instead of all the reps in my workout, because that's what my body can handle right now. And I'm going to be okay with that. And I think that that's like a big deal in the strength and conditioning world is that here's your sets, here's your reps, here's your program, here's your, right? And I think that in the horse world, training ourselves to feel of ourselves and of our horses and giving ourselves that variability and working on that adaptability is a huge skill. 
It really is. And I love that you bring up the word feel because like even when you were describing physical things earlier, I think it's so interesting that we have the same words to describe both our mental and our physical situation or feeling or status, right? Like, are you tense? Are you tight? Are you nervous? Are you like so many of these words? You're like, okay, are we talking about my mind or body right now? Because I, I, you know, and so it's really cool that like, I think the more awareness we bring to our mind and our body, I think it really ups our both our feel as a rider because it's that same thing as like tuning into that feel, like developing feel for yourself. You're primed to have better feel for your horse. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, I could just keep going, but I think this has been wonderful. Is there anything else that is like a burning flame that you want to just cover today? Um, there's so many things. I know, right? I kind of like loving this. This is a great conversation, but this has just been great. So, um, I guess I do want to just chat quick about your breathing. Um, that's because it's such like a common mental skill. Um, I just think it'd be fun to talk about quick. Okay. Well, cool. So I know before this, Janella told me that because I've talked about box breathing quite a bit, that there's an extra layer that she likes to give it. So with box breathing, breathing is so great because it really does have a whole ripple effect on your mind and body. And it really just centers you to the present moment. And being fully in the present moment is so key for being able to have peak performance because when you're just in the present moment, That is what allows you to have laser focus and your best performance, and it really helps any sort of nerves and anxiety to just go by the wayside. So with box breathing, this is a really cool technique because it involves not just breathing and breathing with awareness, but because you have some counting in here. It has a little bit of a mantra to it, which, again, is something else that gives your brain something to hold on to and anchor on to. And so you're counting and counts of four. You don't even need your entire hand of fingers. You just imagine a box on your chest and you breathe in for a count of four, hold for a count of four, exhale for a count of four, hold for a count of four. And you just keep going in, you know, in a box. And it's really cool. It's really straightforward, very simple, really teaches you a lot of breath control because I know it's only four, but it's kind of tricky when you first start doing it. So if you start this at home and you're like, it was only to a count of four, but like I kind of petered out after two, don't feel bad. That's kind of like, it's really amazing that something that is so simple can be so powerful And the really cool thing is that you also know that a set of four of these is a minute. And so you're like, okay. Because if you're like me, you got to like talk yourself into things sometimes. So you're like, I I can do a minute. Like I could do a minute. I, okay, okay. I can do a minute. And so it's really cool because if you're like sitting in the warm-up pen or you're at home and you're like, I just want to go to bed, you're like, okay, I can I can do a minute, right? I'm going to talk myself into this. So it's something that is really easy to, you don't have to have a timer. You can just count to four. 
four times. So, okay. And I think that it's super important to talk about breathing because how many riders are like, I hold my breath. I finished my run. I held my breath the whole time. Or you like get back and you're like, because <laughs> you've been holding your breath, right? So I think that breathing is just a really good mental and physical skill. <laughs> yes. So when we talk about the physical side of breathing, um, breathing mechanics are huge. And so the reason I'm so passionate about breathing mechanics is because in short form, when nothing else was working, changing the mechanics of how I was breathing single-handedly like fixed my back pain that was making me not like riding. So I'm super passionate about it because I personally know and through my clients, I also understand how much it changes how our bodies are functioning. So there's many techniques to breathing and box breathing is a great one. Um, And so mechanics can be applied to any technique, whichever one you choose to do. What I focus on in working on breathing mechanics is what I call rib mobilization. So it's super common in riders to really like brace through our rib cage and hold it in a very stiff position, especially if we're told to sit up and then all of a sudden we're lifting our rib cages and there's a lot of tension in that rib cage and in our backs. So being able to move that rib cage as we're breathing is super key. What we want to be able to do is be able to move our rib cages 360 degrees. So we want to be able to move the front of our rib cage. We want to be able to move the sides of our rib cage. We want to be able to move through the back side of our rib cage because all our ribs are attached to vertebrae. So huge impact on back health, spine health with your breathing mechanics. We want to be able to move through the top of our chest and through the bottom of our chest. So um, what everybody can do is place their hands on their lower ribs. And so (laughs) this goes back to that brain-body connection that we were talking about earlier and using your hands as a tool to help you understand what's going on in your body. Okay, so you don't want to be too low. You don't want to be through your sides. You want to be able to feel those ribs. You can kind of feel how those bottom ribs don't attach to your sternum in the bottom. Okay, so those are called your floating ribs. And that's where you want your hands to be able to sit. I want you guys each to feel is I want you to notice as you breathe how much your rib cage moves. So just take a few nice deep breaths. And I want you to notice if your rib cage moves, if one side maybe moves more or less than the other, if maybe you move a lot through the front or maybe a lot through the back, but maybe not so much through the sides, or maybe you can expand well through the sides, but not so much through the back. Just notice some of those things. Okay. And then as you inhale, I want you to start adapting it. So as you inhale, can you expand your hands out and apart and then as you exhale can you bring that rib cage in back and down and then as you inhale see if you can expand those hands expand that bottom of your rib cage apart then as you exhale see if you can bring that rib cage in back and down again so just do that a few times see how much you can move that rib cage Let's see how much you can move it, 360 degrees. 
super commonly when we have a lot of tension in our bodies or a lot of tension in our backs, this can be really hard to do. So if you're struggling with it, don't be discouraged. Practicing does help loosen all that up. Um, Once again, related to mind, mindset tension, related to physical tension, but practice does make it better. Just like it makes your mind more clear and stuff too when you practice it, right? So um, back expansion, especially in riders, is super commonly really hard because we tend to brace a lot through our backs. So what I want you to see is if as you are breathing, can you feel that backside of your rib cage? Can you expand through that backside as well? So if you're sitting in a chair, you might be able to feel that rib cage expand back into the back of your chair. Um, another position that I love to do this in is child's pose, if you know what that is. Um, if you're sitting at your desk or once again sitting in a chair, you can kind of fold yourself forward. You can put, hug a pillow and really get some length through that backside and see if you can inhale and expand, exhale and relax. And you might feel some really big stretches in between each of your ribs or in that back. Um, I find it feels super good and I use it all the time in my riding, especially if I'm like long trotting for long distance, going to gather some cows or something. Um, I'll find that I'll be sitting up and I'll find that that backside of my rib cage will get really tense and tight. And so I'll just start, okay, I'm going to breathe in between my uh, shoulder blades. I'm going to expand through that spot. And then I can use that breath physically to really help my body relax and loosen up. And then all of a sudden I'm riding along. I'm like, oh yeah, my back doesn't hurt anymore. Didn't even notice when that stopped. <laughs> so I think that breathing is just like such a huge tool mentally as well as physically. And we can use it in different ways to help our bodies and our minds in whatever scenario we want to work on them in. That's yeah, no, that is really cool. I love this technique. I tend to do a lot of yoga. And so I tend to do a lot of like deep, like belly breathing. And so this is like a really cool experience for me personally, because I think I would describe it as like, because I try to avoid like shallow chest breathing, but I can like, from your description, I can really feel it. It's like just breathing in those lower ribs. And it really is a nice, if you haven't been following along, you should rewind and follow along because it's it's a really like nice stretch, especially if you find yourself kind of, you know, like a lot of people will just like stretch their arms backwards to try and stretch out the chest or the the upper back. But this is like, I'm like, oh, like I am absolutely stretching muscles I wanted stretched through this breath. Like I'm going to do this again. Because when you stretch out the front, what you're really, I think a lot of times trying to do is it's that shoulders and that's really you're breathing through that. So anyway, so mm-hmm. I'm going to do this again today. Yeah. And so that's a big thing, like with belly breathing is you can move your belly without moving your ribs. Mm-hmm. And so in relation to your shoulders, your shoulder blades sit on your rib cage. So the position of your rib cage, the tension in your rib cage, everything in your rib cage affects everything. <laughs> and same thing with like, we were talking about how you were standing with one shoulder lifted more than the other. So super commonly, unless you have a lot of like neck stuff going on, super commonly that shoulder dropping into your circle is actually a rib cage thing. If we can inhale 
into that one side of our rib cage and lift that side of your rib cage up and create that core stability through the other side, all of a sudden your shoulders aren't dropping because everything, the relationship between your rib cage and your pelvis changes, your core can stabilize better. Because if our rib cage is in a poor position, our core our abs aren't going to be able to function super well. So I get that all the time too. It's that, oh, I have no abs. And it's like, okay, you do have abs. You're human. You're alive. You do have abs. But like your rib cage is not in a position for them to function well. And when we just change that position of the rib cage, which breathing is a huge help with, all of a sudden there's abs that people didn't know existed because they're actually able to function again. Ah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was really cool. Well, okay. Okay, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. So tell me, so if people want to find you, tell us how people can find you. Okay. So um, there's a few ways. My website is themotioncoach.com. I have some freebies on there that you can uh, go check out. Um, I have my short freebie. And then if you go to my store, there's a whole webinar called uh, Whooping Up 2023, where it outlines a bunch of different clients that I worked with this year and how their rides improved, as well as some different movement stuff that you can get started in. And then you can email me. Uh, My email is Janelle at themotioncoach.com. As well, um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, but um, I tend to be on Instagram more. But you can find me at both at The Motion Coach. Well, perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes too. So people can just click on over because be ready. That's so perfect. neat. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for just for being here. It has just been my total pleasure to have you on and to chat with you. And thank you for taking the time today. You bet. Thanks so much for having me. Um, We'll have to do this again because I feel like there's a lot more that we could talk about. I know. I feel like I was like, we just got started. You're like, I know you're a little nervous about what we were going to talk about. And I was like, we're going to have to just shut it down. And like, yeah, (laughs) this is fun. That's a better problem. (laughs) It is. It's a much better problem. Oh, and also before we hang up, I should tell you, my daughter saw your horse and they are completely enamored. They were like, oh, Yeah, they're like, whoa, wow, our horse is so pretty. I mean, is that my Palomino? Palomino, then the yeah, that's Rumble. He's my main man. Yeah, yeah. So they were just ooing and awing over him. Uh, (laughs) Well, I'm glad they enjoyed him. (laughs) Oh yes, I know. I'm yeah. He's just beautiful horse. So thank you. Oh well, thanks so much, Chanel. It's just been my pleasure. Thanks again. You bet. Thank you. Hey there, friends. Nicole here. And I want to start by saying a huge thank you to all of you readers and subscribers of the Resilient Rainer newsletter and podcast. I am truly honored and grateful for the thousands of you who make up this amazing community. For those of you who love Resilient Rainer and have been asking for more, and for those of you who have been wondering how you can support me to do more of this work, I've got good news for you. Introducing Resilient Rainer Premium. This will give you more of the newsletter and podcast you love. As a Resilient Rainer Premium Newsletter subscriber, you'll get additional exclusive newsletter episodes and podcasts just for Resilient Rainer Premium. Don't worry, I'll still be putting out free weekly newsletters and podcasts filled with mental coaching goodness for riders. For those of you begging for more, now you've got it. Just click the link in the show notes to sign up.
Easy peasy. Also, guys, I am gearing up to launch the Mental Gym late spring, but before the Mental Gym opens up again, I am so excited about Resilient Rainer Academy because I get so many questions about confidence as a writer. I think this is just one of the biggest blocks that I see that writers run into that is blocking them from leveling up and really unlocking their true potential in the saddle. So because I want to give you guys (laughs) as much as I can, I have been creating this amazing course that I am going to drop in the next month here all about confidence for writers. So in the mental gym, we go over everything and it's live coaching. We get into the details of you and your horse and your mind. And this course is going to be pre-recorded so you can go through it completely on your schedule. And we are going to get into the nitty gritty of how to build your confidence as a writer. I'm talking literally, I take you step by step with at-home exercises and homework for you to do of like, Here's what you need to do before your ride. Here's what you need to do after your ride. And I hold your hand and I will teach you to be a confident writer. And just so much more than I can get into in any free training or even in the mental gym because we cover so much. So I just really wanted to create this resource for you guys, for you writers of like, let me hold your hand and take you down the trail here. I will teach you to be a confident writer. So if you're interested in this, I'm putting up a wait list so you can be first notified as soon as it goes live, resilientraineracademy.com. You can get on the wait list and I'm going to put it in the show notes, okay? I am just so excited to give this to you guys because I can't wait to see the improvement and the amazing impacts it's going to have for you and your horses. So anyway, sending you guys all of my love, happy trails, and go ride your horse.